On Thursday, September 30th, 1982, the production team of Jim Burroughs, Glenn, and Les Charles debuted a sitcom. Running on NBC at 9 p.m., opposite the two-hour season premiere of Magnum P.I., the show finished in last place in its time slot, 77th out of 100 shows on air that week. At the end of the first season, it ranked only four spots ahead of dead last in the ratings. But 11 years later, the series finale was watched by 40 million people, earning it the second highest ratings for a final episode in television history. Filmed before a live studio audience on Paramount Stage 25 in Hollywood, California, Cheers brought the world down the stairs of 112 and a half Beacon Street in Boston, Massachusetts to a dark mahogany and polished brass watering hole filled with characters that would become woven into the tapestry of television history. But it all started with a pilot. Welcome to Who's Piloting This Podcast, where we watch the first episodes of television history. Hi. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode three. Everyone, listener. <laughs> There's more than one. We'll get to that in a minute here. <laughs> I am James. I am joined here by my wife, Gretchen. Howdy. And uh, we are going to talk about Cheers. Uh, but first... We got some upgrades. <laughs> Can I talk about that? Sure, go for it. So, JB bought some sweet-ass headphones and this weird thing that goes over my mic that looks like a plate... <laughs> so, so Gretchen, Gretchen's talking about she, she there's a pop filter now um the pop filter uh she's a little plosive if people know what that means I also got no they some, don't what the fuck does it mean it means you oh I'm plosive plosive yeah you, you pop you pop your mic a little bit um we got some uh microphone arms um we're gonna have to replace Gretchen's microphone it's picking up a little bit too much like these glasses on the table. That's uh, that's all rattling through her mic. So we're going to fix that. Um, but yeah, a couple other uh, uh, minor things here, podcast business. So we, we've released two episodes so far. You're listening to the third episode, hopefully. Um, <laughs> so in about 11 days, we went from zero to literally tens of listeners. Tens. Tens of listeners. Um, we had our first download internationally in Germany. My cousin or Janet. our friend Ned also one, lives one, there. one or the other. <laughs> but someone in the UK downloaded and listened to the show. I don't know. Mm. No idea who that could be. Um, we also have a Twitter. We have a Facebook and we have an Instagram with one picture on it, I believe. Maybe two. We have a mailing list. You can join the mailing list. And of course, we have a website. We'll plug it all at the uh, end of the episode again. So if you want to interact with us, I don't know why you would, but you're welcome to it. I put one more note on here to check our voicemail. I checked it earlier. We did have a message. I'll, oh. play, it. I'll play it next week. So Why next you, week? Because I forgot to do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, to, the suspense is going to kill week. us for a whole week. Gretchen, why don't you tell us about tonight's beer? Yes. Uh, ooh, that voice was gross. So tonight we are drinking a beer by Commonwealth. Uh, they're out of Virginia Beach. And it's called Big Poppy. It's uh, an 8% double IPA, um, super juicy, low bitterness. Um, if you've noticed a theme in this being our third podcast, we love our IPAs, specifically New England's. Yes, we do. You want to hand me your glass? So here we go. Here's the taste test. Tasty. It's not bad. 
I don't get a ton of juice out of it. Um, I get a little juice, but it's good. It doesn't taste like 8%. No, she's dangerous. And I do see a little bit of a fluvia floating around in there. So. Okay, with the big words, what the fuck does that mean? I don't know, crap. There's some crap floating in Sediment. the Sediment. You could just Sediment. say that. Fluvula? Uh, effluvia. Fluvia. Okay. Anyway, moving on. Um, so <laughs> one more quick thing today, preparing for the show. Um, we got, let me see. We got one like on Twitter from Ken Levine. <laughs> hey, folks. I'm sorry to break in here, but uh, I don't know if we had, I don't know, too many beers or what, but uh, I'm just making up pronunciations now. The guy's name is Ken Levine. He has a podcast, Hollywood and Levine. Go listen to it. Oh, my God. Ken Levine. That's big time stuff. You have to talk about Ken. You did a lot of Ken research. Well, Ken doesn't actually factor into this episode. But Ken was a, (laughs) Ken Levine was a writer for Cheers. And also, Fief Sutton, who is another writer for Cheers, followed us on Twitter. What? I know. Are you serious? Yeah, he's an idiot (laughs) because... We've got like Little six... does he know that we are terrible. We've got six people <laughs> following us. We have 30 people listening to every episode, and they are our relatives. Yes. <laughs> I don't even think our friends have... Li- well, actually, I know a few who have, yes. Maybe. Shout out to Tim Addicts. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, jumping into, she- into Cheers. Um, did you watch Cheers? I mean... Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, I mean... What? So first run, like, what did, so what did we see? 1982. Yeah, I I was two. So come on. But I definitely remember it being on, like my, my parents watched it. My relatives watched it. I definitely, if it was on first run, obviously I don't remember, but yeah, I, I grew up with it for sure. I, I think it falls into a weird spot where it was more than likely on first run. Like, I mean, it was in syndication, right? But this is like kind of pre, pre cable, where where syndication was just where you could watch shows regularly. So um, wait, okay, I ahead. guess that's a sidebar. Did they only get into syndication with cable? Was that? No, I don't think so. But I mean, I feel like in broadcast TV, when would you see syndicated television? Like that was like a rerun. It, like I feel like it would be I don't know weird parts of Saturday. Or like, you know, seven o'clock on, on channel 50. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, that's probably the shit that I watched. That's probably, yeah. But now with like TBS and all of those kind of cable channels that made a business out of, you know, syndicating popular shows. Right. Like Seinfeld, obviously. Um, so I, I do think I watched some of it first run, but I can't fully remember. I mean, 82 is too young for me to watch like the beginning, beginning episodes. Yeah. But I mean, it was on air the same time Seinfeld was. No. Yeah. Well, yes, they overlap, but not, I mean, it was, it, it premiered way before Seinfeld. Well, of course. And it was on for 11 years. The importance of this to the podcast for me is like this. So we all go to the beach every year, but, um, one of the trips to the beach, I think I put on cheers and I put on the first episode And to me, like this was the foundation and I didn't come up with the idea for this podcast. I think this was a combination of people that had had the idea of watching pilot episodes. But for me, it was incredibly fascinating to think about the world where nobody knew who Norm was, where, you know, for my entire life, I've known 
George went, walks into a bar, everybody yells Norm. That's mm-hmm. just it, right? So at some point, the audience had to be told who that was. I think that's really fascinating as a concept in terms of... Because now he's so ingrained in like, you know, some part of like history and and TV and pop culture. Right. And that's where kind of like the idea of looking back at the first episodes of all these shows was kind of foundational. It's like, okay, well, how, how were we introduced to these characters? So the opening... So Cheers um, had a cold open. So they always started with a little vignette before the credits of the show. And of course, this one starts with Sam and a kid coming in with a fake ID to buy beer. Yes. And Sam's like opening the bar. I'm trying to figure out what time is this? Is it like 9 a.m.? I mean, I don't think the bar would have been open, but you know, I mean. But there's nobody there. He's like opening it. Well, sometimes the bar isn't open in real life. Like this happens. Like we've walked into a bar before. At, okay. This is probably, <laughs> this doesn't happen on the regular, but we've definitely walked into a bar at like 11 or noon and they're like, yeah, we're not open, but they just have the doors open. So. Right. Okay. So that's fair. So he, you know, he's opening scene. He's, he's pulling out coffee mugs. He's getting ready. Kid comes in with a fake ID. They have a little vignette before, um, the opening credits. I love this theme song. I personally think this is the finest theme song of all of them. Um, it is where everybody knows your name. Sorry. I just fucking touched the mic. It's very famous written by Gary Portnoy. If, if you've never listened to that song, I would say go to YouTube or uh, YouTube or Google Play or whatever you do. Listen to it and listen to verse three, because that's not used in the show, but I'm going to read it to you because it's roll out of bed. Mr. Coffee's dead. The morning's looking bright and your shrink ran off to Europe and didn't even write. And your husband wants to be a girl. <laughs> if you've heard... The actual theme song, you wouldn't see that verse coming. So Diane comes in, and this is where, like, so I think the, I guess we'll jump back and forth here, because I think the writing of the show is very, I think it's good. I think it's a very well-written pilot episode. And one of the challenges, I think, with this show is is the premise here is everybody's in a bar, everybody knows each other. So what do you do with that? You, you have to start a story somewhere. And so a situation comedy technically isn't a story, right? It's a situation. So all these people are there. They all know each other. How do you tell the audience who everybody is? And that's where the fish out of water enters. And that's Diane. Mm -hmm. So Diane walks in with this old dude, Sumner. Yeah. So the basically um, premise is she walks in with this guy who is her professor. She's his student, which is always gross. Um, And they're getting married and, um, they sort of walk in and Sumner is like, oh, I want to give you my ex-wife's ring. It was my grandmother's ring. So I need to go to her house and get it. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, Premise is a little convoluted there. Well, and it's also just if you break it down, like, sorry, but if I were getting married to someone, I would not. OK, yes, the grandmother's ring is a. I have your grandmother's ring. Like it was given to me you're, by your mother. You're wearing it. But you didn't have another wife who wore it before me. Not <laughs> so, that you know of. <laughs> so like that was just kind of OK, this is weird. But anyway, so I think it was just that part. Yes, I agree. The writing is great, but that was a little. Eh. It's, it's a little forced, but I mean, it's a way to get her alone. 
right. in the bar and that's why with they, Sam. Yeah. Opening camera work, really shitty. Um, <laughs> sorry to clown on somebody, but it, it's obviously, it's so it's shot on film, looks great, except for they're doing this like zooming tracking shot and it cameras bouncing all over the place. It's not run terribly well right there. Um, I think Sam set up perfectly well as a, as a womanizer in the first shot. Like Also, Sam is very tan. It doesn't have anything to do with anything, but I noticed that. Didn't notice. Her fiance, Sumner, has Mentat eyebrows. Now, that's only for the nerds in the audience. If you know what a Mentat is, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't look it up, it's a character from, uh, if, if you look up David Lynch's Dune, um, you have to picture eyebrows that look like the top of um, Lyle Lovett's hair. That makes no sense to you. No, I'm completely lost. Giant bushy eyebrows. Okay. You are really on a big word, big word kick today. <laughs> well, mentat's a fake word. It's me. It's, I mean, oh, see, science so, fiction. So it's you married a dummy. Yeah. Um, also, <laughs> I have one giant eyebrow. You do. And you have one giant eyebrow hair that I keep wanting to. I don't let her. I don't let her pull that eyebrow. Not a sore spot at all, folks. Okay. Anyway, moving on back to the show. I have one thing about this, this opening scene, though. So, um, I can't even remember that. Oh, so, so Diane has to take a phone call. Um, Sam walks out. It's some woman he doesn't want to talk to. So they have this exchange where he's like, no, 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 no. And lie for me. Um, but she, you know, she has some line back to him. Like, uh, she said, you're a, a giant pagan stallion or something like that. And he, he says, um, well for that, I'll, I'll buy you your first drink. And she says, I'll take a bottle of your finest champagne. And he says, well, it wasn't that good. Um, then some, okay, you're telling the story really poorly. <laughs> so the woman who calls says he's, well, that's not the point though. Oh, okay. Sorry. The point was this whole exchange about, about how he offered to buy her a drink and she, she asked for his finest bottle of champagne and he, he says, well, it wasn't that good. I'm not going to buy you that. So then he finds out they're getting married. And so he does offer them his finest bottle of champagne. And then I watched, he, he opens it and pours it and it's Moet. Moet, Moet, Moet. Oh, Moet and Moet Chandon. Um, and I'm like, wow, what was... So I looked it up. Like, an, I don't know what a bottle cost in 82. I think now it's a couple hundred bucks. Is it really? Isn't it? No, I think you're thinking of Dom. Oh, you're right. Yeah, okay. Oh, so maybe God. it's not... Maybe that was his <laughs> finest champagne. <laughs> he had some Andre. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Andre. <sighs> <laughs> okay, so um, I think this episode three is going to be fucking terrible. <laughs> and oddly enough, this is the best show we've covered thus far. No, no, I take that back. Golden Girls is very good. But um, anyway, I digress. <laughs> Coach comes in. Coach uh, played by Nick Colasanto. I feel like I had seen him somewhere and I couldn't. Was he in another show? I think he was a long-term character actor, but I don't. I don't think he because he didn't stay on Cheers very long. Well, he died. Okay. Yeah, so he died in season four. Okay. Coach like shoots into the bar. He's basically the dummy of the show, which gives everybody a you know a person to explain things to. But he gets a lot of really great one-liners. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading some some stuff, and one of the things that the other actor said is, you know, they said, "Hey, coach, how do you?" You know, how do you always do it? And he says, well, when I walk on set, I'm 12 years old. So he, that was his approach. He's like, I'll always, I'm 12 years old. Uh, so he's just very innocent and... Yeah. You were a drunk? Are you kidding? 
He was a great drunk. Anything that kid did, it was great. I was not a great drunk. I was a good drunk. Are you drunk now? No, I haven't had a drink in over three years. Also, just another example of they told a whole story arc there to tell you who Sam is, why he's there. He's a bartender that's three years sober, which I can't imagine. Former um, um, relief pitcher for the Red Sox. Bought a bar when he was drunk and kept it for sentimental reasons once he sobered up. Um, Samuel Mayday Malone. Mayday Malone. So I've got one thing I want to say about Coach. Now, Coach has great lines, great delivery, moves the story forward. He's great. He's a shitty bartender. (laughs) Why? He straight up dips his hands into the ice well and then puts them on his head when he's stressed out. Oh, I remember that. That was gross. And not only that, like, um, and I don't know, maybe in the eighties, this is a little different when Norm, who are we getting to next? When Norm asks for one more, he, he takes his mug and just fills it right again. And I think they did that in the eighties though. Maybe, but we don't do that anymore. Right. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Quite honestly, why not? Who fucking cares? I don't know. I guess it's a health code thing. Some places. I don't know. Um, I'm dropping too many F's in this podcast. You can we, we've got the explicit out. tag marked. It's fine. So you get Sam first, then Diane walks in, then coach comes in and then Carla, Carla. Yeah. Carla comes in. <laughs> I call her Brillo. She's got this tight ass perm. I, well, I think it's just her hair. It's not a perm, but, um, she comes in like a bat out of hell. She's like, sorry, I'm late. Blah. Couldn't get a sitter. I hate this job. Screw you. If you want to fire me, blah, I'm going to change. And then she comes out and she's like, so what am I doing? And I mean, they're, they just, they bring her character in like, it's, she's a whirlwind. And I think that's how she kind of ended up being, right? Like, I don't, I don't, I'm going to be honest. I don't remember. <laughs> her character? I remember her character. I don't remember enough about her character's um, sort of like, progression or growth if you will so i don't think she grow she i don't think she growed she didn't grow so um in i I don't want to like sound like i know anything about writing but in you know in in screenwriting and stuff like that you have characters they call yardstick characters which they are not supposed to grow they show how everyone else around them changes Mm, okay so she, I think, throughout the entire show doesn't change. And the core of her character um, from beginning to end is that she's always honest. Like, you know, she oh, comes brutally, off as mean. Yeah. But what she actually is is just brutally honest. They, but she's been through some shit. Well, she has. She's got, what, four kids. Husband left her for... Um, and all this comes out in... Right. Yeah, in the pilot. Uh, she put her husband through school, TV repair school, and yeah. then he leaves her with the four kids who are all terrible. The writing team that came up with Cheers, Jim Burroughs, Glenn, and Les Charles wrote the show. They came up with the show. So Glenn and Les Charles were the showrunners towards the end of Taxi. So they were writing Taxi. Jim Burroughs was the guy directing it. When I guess they might have all had the same agent. And so when Taxi was coming to a close, their agent said, why are you working for other people? You guys should come up with your own show. So they wrote Cheers. They all came up with Cheers together. And one of the first characters they came up with was Carla. And they wrote it specifically for Rhea Perlman, who they knew through Cheers. Danny DeVito, her husband. Wait, they knew through Cheers? I mean, through, sorry, through Taxi. Oh. Danny DeVito was on Taxi. That's Rhea oh, Perlman's yeah, yeah, husband. Oh, yeah, yeah, Okay. That's right. I forgot that. Uh, yeah. Okay, go ahead. That's it. <laughs> okay. All right. 
right. Um, Norm comes in. Yes. He does one of these. Afternoon, everybody. Norm! That's it. <laughs> well, and what they say is they go, uh, what do you know? And he goes, not enough. And then they start talking about the Patriots and, hey, paging TJ, I don't know if you're listening to this, but thought of you. He, he's not. <laughs> so the, the lore of the show is that the character of Norm was originally named George. George went in uh, audition for the show. So did John Ratzenberger. Okay. They both auditioned for the same character. Um, so they really love George Went. John Ratzenberger, as the story goes, went in and auditioned and bombed. Did Wasn't terribly. Wasn't he the guy from, uh, wait, don't tell me. And you can edit this out. I no, actually, we're going to wait for it. I just want to. He's the guy from, I can see his, fu- I can see his face. Um, he's the guy from. I know. The, the problem is, he's I don't real know. tall. Mm, no. Then no, I don't. Hang on, I have a laptop. No, right no, here. it's fine because I'm going to tell you who John Ratzenberger is. But I want to see if it's the guy that I know who it it's is. It's not because John Ratzenberger is Cliff. Oh. <laughs> so, so, Never mind. I was thinking of someone totally different. All right. Yeah, yeah. So John Ratzenberger read for the role of quote George back then. Um, George did not have a big role in it. I don't think it was intended to be a recurring character. Completely bombs, and he's about to leave, and he sit, he stops, and he he turns around, and he decides to start engaging in improving, and he says, "Hey, do you guys have a know-it-all character?" And they're like, "What do you mean?" And he said, "Well, every bar in New England has a know-it-all." And he he was telling him, you know, like every bar has a guy that sits at the bar and thinks he has the entire world between his ears and loves to tell you about it. And they actually listened to him and ended up creating the character of Cliff Clavin for him. Renamed the character of George to Norm. George went, of course, then ended up getting the role of Norm. Um, Cliff Clavin was the other character. Um, Cliff and Norm, neither one of them were really intended at that point to be long-term recurring characters, but became pivotal to the show. Well, and it's funny, you're t- I'm sure you read this too in your own research, but um, I was reading that his character, he ended up just doing, his whole thing was he would just do a lot of improv. Yeah. They wouldn't actually, they would write, I think, loose. At the beginning, I think they wrote, they wrote um, trivia for him and then he would improv a little bit. And then towards the end, as he says, they trusted him enough to let him do it. Yeah. And and there's a really great interview I was reading with him where he said, you know, the the art of the I'm greatly paraphrasing here, but the art of improv isn't what you're saying, it's knowing when to stop. Mm-hmm. And and so he was very very good at that. Couple of things about Norm. One, are they giant hands or are they tiny mugs? Meat paws. Huge huge hands. Not a I mean, I'm not saying the guy is rotund or anything. I mean, he looks I stocky. Think, he looks sturdy, I think right? So he's a big dude. He might just have some big old meat paws. That's that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm saying. Probably the mug. I don't know. Maybe four inches tall. I think the mugs tall. were the same size for everyone else. They didn't give him a miniature mug to make him look like a fucking monster. <laughs> but he, he does kind of look like like the dwarves from I don't know the Hobbit movies. Just giant paws. Also, the uncle of Jason Sudeikis. Yes, yes, I remember you did so tell that me means, that. Uh, Olivia Wilde is his niece-in-law. Cliff um, gets a really tiny bit in this 
this episode. He's already sitting at the bar. He doesn't get an introduction. Ends up adding to this whole story about what's the sweatiest movie. Couple of things about the bar. This place, so Gretchen and I have been barflies probably way too many times. We genuinely have an award downstairs that our bar gave us for being best customers. I'm talking about a trophy. So it's true. We understand like the whole element of like a place that you walk into and everybody says, Hey, and that's like, that's very comforting for me. That's, that's a, I have a giant, um, I don't know, appreciation for the concept of cheers. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of Kirby's. Yeah, I can see that. Kirby's is a place in Ocean City. Um, and, and my Kirby's sister lives in Ocean a, City. Is, I don't want to say it's a dump. I will say it's... It's a fucking dive. And it's... And, rustic. Yeah. And it's very... Um, it's punk rock. It's got a bunch of regulars. It feels like when you're, you walk in the door and you're a regular, they... they wait, wait. You're thinking of Shoddy's. No, I'm thinking of Kirby's. You are thinking of Kirby's. Okay. Yeah. Well, both of those, I would say, is that... I would describe them both as that. But um, yeah. Anyway, just to say, it's a place where you go in and people know you like they you know you have a it's like everybody knows your name yeah exactly and i think there's something to be said for that especially nowadays the question is so you've you watched it i've watched it what do you think in terms is it successful as a pilot would you have added this to your streaming oh my god i literally at on my notes at the end the second to the last thing i said was in all caps how did this not get everyone hooked immediately like there is a scene when um, Sumner leaves for, I think, the second time, and everybody knows he's not coming back. And she kind of, Diane looks at the door, and you can tell she's sort of like, um, you know, heartbroken, and her back is to everyone sitting at the bar. And she turns around, and everyone's staring at her, and they all try to play it off like, oh, we're they all, all doing look stuff. away real quick. Yeah. But it was just, it was like kind of an intense emotional moment. And they, they captured those things very well for a pilot when you're not invested so much in the characters yet. You don't know the characters yet. And you, you know, you don't have the, um, you don't, you just literally don't have anything invested in them. And I thought, uh, I, okay, maybe I'm biased because I do, because I know them, but I've only seen the pilot twice, I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Watching it again was like watching it for the first time. And I was just like, holy cow, how did how did this finish at what did you say? 70th in the ratings? I mean, so like it, it finished dead last that night. And remember, it was up against Magnum P.I. And that was a smash hit like that. Smash. That was a hard in 1982. There was musty TV didn't exist yet. So this was like kind of, you know, we're. Our first show, we're talking about Golden Girls trying to still keep the magic of must-see TV going, and that's a lot later. Yeah, well... So, so this was like really trying to crack in because all the other networks had hit, hit shows. And so this is pre-time of NBC owning Thursday night. Yeah, I mean... So in reality, this show would have been canceled. Absolutely, 100%. Because it, it finished its whole first season really, really poorly. But what happened was, at NBC, Brandon Tartikoff was a huge champion of the show. Um, so he was saying, guys, hang on. Just keep watching the numbers. The numbers keep going up. And, and what happened was, after the season ended, 
in between seasons, they started rerunning the episodes. So everybody that watched Magnum P.I. wasn't going to watch it again. They started watching Cheers. And they were like, what's this show? This show's kind of good. And they caught on. The show actually caught on. Now, my perspective is I don't know if I would have added this to my DVR. Now, I, mean, I think this is probably the best written pilot of any, well, it's of the three. <laughs> we have a lot to draw from, folks. Of the three we've watched, this one is phenomenal. The writing is just phenomenal. It really is. Like the, the way they And the character development for literally a fucking, what did you have, 20 minutes? It's efficient. Like, to show these. It's so, so efficient. Like they, they. The way they tell you how Sam is a former ball player is that Cliff sits down and he says, hey, lady, we c- couldn't we have used this guy last night? And she's like, what are you talking about? And and they get to explain who Sam is in like four sentences. Yeah. And the jokes, they're good jokes, but the jokes are not. I said one liners earlier. They're not one liners. The jokes are a funny bit in the middle of a story and the story moves forward. None of it is like a shoehorn of, I had this, this bit, this joke that I wrote and I had to fit it into this character's mouth. Did you just lean over to fart or is that a, no, I'm burping. Okay. <laughs> so everything in the, in the pilot moves it forward. Everything tells you about the story, tells you all that you need to know about the characters, but doesn't do it in a really either a very pedantic way where they're like, you know, um, like spoon feeding you this, these like, character backstories they don't do flashbacks they don't break no, the it fourth was, wall it's yeah it was so kind well of written. like we don't need to get we don't need to get so granular we're gonna here here's this guy you know he's got this rough background but we're not gonna be like i kind of appreciated that that they were just like we're just gonna put it out there it's not like and then he did this and then he did this and this is how he got here and this is why we're here and this is the you know it was just a couple of a couple of little facts about this guy who's happens to be one of the main characters of the show. Yeah, I I, I really legit think, think think that this is a powerhouse of writing. It, it's like the efficiency that they have implemented to no words are wasted. All of that being said, I think this show is so subtle it would have failed, and today it would absolutely fail the same way Seinfeld would have failed the first season. People oh. needed more than one season to buy in. Yeah. So without like a champion, this show would have been cooked. Right. If you don't have the, the that person going, oh, no, let's keep it going. Or let's face it, the funding. Um, yeah. I mean, but God, after we watched it, I was like, oh, my God, how did this not? I just, yeah, I think it was just the, it was all around good. The writing, the acting, the storylines, the character. Yeah, just good. Good, good, good. So, quick bit of show business. Um, we've been on the air now um, on the internet for two episodes. Um, we literally have tens of people listening to us, so we're very excited to announce that we've already landed our first sponsorship deal. Um, so, Gretchen's going to read an ad here. Um, I, I This was really late. It just got faxed in, so... Um, <laughs> We do have a fax machine behind Gretchen. So it got, it got faxed and she hasn't had a chance to read it. I'm, I'm sorry. Would you indulge me in doing a cold read? Sure. Okay. Who's piloting this podcast is brought to you by... Shitty's brand adult diapers. With a strong elastic waist and an appetite for crap that not even an... Not even an Applebee's could satisfy. Shitty's brand adult diapers can hang. 
turd for turd. <laughs> Gulping down anything can throw at them. What? But aren't those for old people? But aren't those for old people? Shitty's brand diapers aren't just for seniors with loose bowels. <laughs> During coronavirus, we'll all pretty much have given up anyway. And you're running out of toilet paper. The world has crapped its pants, so why shouldn't you? <laughs> Shitty's brand adult diapers. Have a seat. Have a shit. It's all the same to us. Have a sip. Have a shit. It's all the same to us. Shitties. <laughs> Thank you to Shitties. Oh, that was good. Thank you to Shitties adult diapers. Um, <laughs> that's going to pay for Gretchen's headphones. <laughs> All right, so um, now we're getting into the minutiae of the show where we can talk about random facts and things like that. Um, I've got a page of notes. I don't know how much of this we're going to get to. Here, right off the top of the bat, I think these some of these things are really fascinating. So this team came together from Taxi. They were uh, putting together a show. NBC had bought, I guess, the rights to the show. NBC had a... What are you doing? My ears hurt. Well, take your glasses off. Sorry. So NBC had the rights to the show and they had a star that they offered to the team for the bartender, Bill Cosby. What? Yeah. And they, so they had a rule though. They were like, no stars. We don't want any known actors. So they turned down Bill Cosby. The, um, they also looked at Sid Caesar for the role of coach. Sid Caesar would have been amazing. Gretchen has no idea who Sid Caesar is. But uh, Sid Caesar is a comedy legend. Your show of shows, so many writers uh, in the comedy world trace back to him. But they wisely um, looked at him and said, well, the show's going to be about him. It, it, we can't not give him all of the, the, the jokes. So did not go with Sid Caesar at, either. Um, as I said earlier, Fred Dreyer was trying out for the role of Sam. They had three different couples that they were um, testing as Sam and Diane because it was very important to them to uh, to to match both actors, right? Mm -hmm. I think from everything that I've read, they really kind of fell in love with Shelley Long. Well, they, I mean... They felt like the chemistry worked the best with Ted Danson was, and Shelley Long. Yeah, it was good. I mean... So, I don't... I don't like Diane's character. Well, I mean, she played an uptight, sort of, like, kind of snobby, you know, I think you're not supposed to, right? Isn't that sort of part of the, you're not, you're not, um, she's not endearing. She's not. She's not. I, and, and I have a, more of a visceral, visceral reaction to her. I just, I don't like her. I don't want to see more of her. I don't, I don't want her. Okay. <laughs> well, that's how he feels, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. And she leaves the show in, episode, in season four or five um, because she wanted to protect her film career. Where did that go? <laughs> well, I'll tell you where it went. She made Troop Beverly Hills. I know. She in made, 1988. She made with two. Jenny Lewis. She made two Brady Bunch movies and then. Dr. T and the women. And then I don't think she made another movie ever again. Realistically, it was probably the right move. Um, the writers kind of had the conclusion that they had nowhere to go with her. So her leaving the show actually kind of injected a no. second life into the show. Yeah. 
But some of the cast, some of the crew, still a little better. That she left? Both, because they didn't like her and they didn't like that she left. Hmm, Which is hard, right? I mean, that kind of sucks, I guess. I learned a couple other things. I guess you you don't have notes because you just closed your laptop. I had like four things. That was it? Okay, good. Good job working on the show. (sighs) (sighs) Well, I just have my own thoughts, but they're not... Whatever. So... A couple of things in general about the show, not about the pilot. Um, well, one thing, Lothario, that was a word I'd never heard before. I had to learn that. That That is a name for a womanizer. Um, Lothario. Da- Lothario. Uh, Ted Danson was not a Lothario. He was very uncomfortable with the role of Sam. Um, he, it, he said it took him a year or more to become comfortable in the role because he didn't have the bravado. But had he the got that paycheck. He got the paycheck. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, that was your cue, you dumbass. No, no, go ahead. Uh, but he... Uh, uh, but he got that paycheck. He's not going to play? Come on. <laughs> God, we Ted suck. Ted Danson makes $800,000 an episode. Oh, would you stop with the Ted Danson? Well, he does. You're not. I'm sorry. I can't live knowing that Ted Danson makes that much more than me. <laughs> Who's he? He's so what about me? You're nobody. Why him? Why not me? He's good. You're not. I'm better than him. You're worse. <laughs> much, much worse. Such a good, <laughs> good bit. <sighs> also, this one. I don't want to tell you how to run your show. No, of course not. Really. It's enough with the bar already. Yeah, you know what I'm <laughs> uh, seriously, have you thought about changing the setting? Uh, I uh, and and even um, Ted Danson is on Curb Your Enthusiasm later, and they've got a rivalry on the show. I'll have to dig into that a little bit more and, and figure that TD, out. TD man. Um, oh God, Ted Danson on Good Life. If you're not watching it, you're an idiot. Go back, start from the beginning. Um, good of, Life is that what it's called? Isn't it the Good Life? The Good Life. The Good Life. I th- that, why does it, it not sound right? Yeah, I don't know. Whatever, it's good. <laughs> Yeah, Gretchen, the reason why it doesn't sound right is because it's wrong. The show's called The Good Place. Uh, go watch that. That's a good show. Yeah, and uh, he, Ted Danson's done a bunch of stuff, but oh man, The Good Life. That really, The Good Place, right back into my heart. I don't know. So, what did we learn? Um... I think that this was a great show that... Wait, this podcast or the... No, (laughs) not the podcast. Yeah, I agree. I think Cheers um, was a great show. I mean, watching the pilot again for for the first time, it was like watching it for the first time, but in the sense that I did not, I fully did not understand how it didn't get everyone hooked off the bat because it's it was, well, it was great up against magnum fuck magnum okay who cares him has a goddamn mustache and his hawaiian shirts folks thanks for enduring our podcast especially this extra long one cheers was produced by charles burroughs charles productions in association with paramount network television the current distributor is cbs television distribution 
All copyrights are the property of Charles Burroughs Charles Productions and Paramount. If you like this podcast, please follow us on Twitter at Who's Piloting, Instagram at Who's Piloting, Facebook at Who's Piloting This Podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast service and leave us a review. It really helps, I guess. I'm not sure. Check out our website at whospilotingthispodcast.com. There's not much there to see, but you can join our mailing list. Uh, also, if you want to tell us what you think we should watch next or just send us a nasty gram, you can call and leave us a voicemail, that's for real, on our phone number at 323-NET-INFO. I hope you'll join us next week. Be good.